welcome to Design for AI. My name is Mark Bailey, and today I have with me David Talby, and he is the CTO of Pacific.ai. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Great. Um, so if you could just kind of give me some background as far as, uh, you know, what, what does Pacific.ai do? Uh, sure. So we are, uh, you know, we, we are an AI company, and basically we, we help companies uh, go from research to production, so get AI products to market. Uh, we do a lot of work in the healthcare and life science space. Uh, that's where we, we specialize. And, and kind of even within that space, uh, we specialize in uh, natural language processing. Uh, so, so, you know, we, 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 are, we are the team that's building the, the Spark NLP library, the open source library for uh, NLP on, on Apache Spark. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, can, we, we were fortunate uh, to do a lot of projects where we, we help uh, teams deploy AI platforms, uh, build models, take those models to production, uh, and then also kind of stick with them and see how you actually operate them and how users react to them and, and the, how that changes over time. Got it. That's cool. How did you personally get involved in AI? Or why do, why do you um, find it interesting? Yep, so, you know, I've, I've, I found it interesting, you know, since, since I was a kid. Uh, and I've, I went into computer science, I have a PG in computer science and an MBA. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm, I got to Seattle uh, working for Amazon, and I worked for them for a few years. Uh, but then 10 years ago, I joined Microsoft, uh, and I worked at the Bing Group, and that was really my first introduction into machine learning, uh, information extraction, some data mining. Uh, and, you know, back then, we, we, you know, you kind of, you did it all manually, right? You actually implemented algorithms and, you know, you did your own labeling and your own measurement. Uh, after Microsoft, I spent five years in the, as a VP engineering CTO at, at Atigio, which was an early big data analytics startup. And we were early adopters of uh, Spark and Cassandra, uh, but also we, we actually did distributed deep learning uh, and and we, we dealt with a bunch of problems around uh, kind of your classic supervised machine learning, semi-supervised learning, uh, and a lot of a lot of NLP problems. Um, and and after kind of you know after that company uh, was acquired, I, I you know pretty much went on my own and and started Pacific AI. Uh, but really now I've been you know I've been kind of you know playing with these issues for the past ten years. Uh, and and really I mean it's been fantastic because there's just so much so much change uh, in what you're able to do in the tools, in how people perceive it. Uh, and it's really been fun just to see the, the growth in the, in the kind of, in the uh, kind and the, the quality of projects that, you know, we are actually able to deliver now. Okay. And so what is, uh, so from a, the design standpoint, um, so how, how do you make sure that you keep AI, uh, you know, tuned to the actual user? Yep. Yeah, so, so that, that so, so that that's a really important point, uh, because you say often, uh, you know, when when you build a model in your nice little notebook on your training data, uh, it usually would not be tuned, uh, and there are several risk points here. Uh, one is that uh, sometimes uh, what you train your model on is not actually what you what you'll see in production, right? And that's one risk point. Uh, and uh, like we, we see this a lot in healthcare, you know, you, you train your model on you know the, the past three years of data for Medicare, for example, right? And then you take it to a specific hospital, the model probably would not work because, you know, Medicare is tuned towards older people, right? Or, or what happens a lot, you know, if you, if you tune your model of, you know, of any specific kind of population, uh, basically you take it to a different, uh, you know, a different customer, it's not going to work as well. So that's one issue. 
Uh, and really, you need to kind of you need to measure it. You need to know what the biases are. You need to you know, and and usually need to retrain. Another issue that happens is that uh, once you put the models in production, they start degrading, and sometimes they can degrade fairly quickly. Um, so, so that you know, if your accuracy on day one was whatever 92 percent, three months later you could easily be at you know 72 or 52 percent uh, because of changes in the population or even just how people reacted to your own model. Um, uh, and, and, and the third really important thing is that, uh, you know, and, and that's not even about AI, that's about just software design in general. Uh, people don't use your software the way you think they would, right? And, and, and especially since uh, AI software is, is usually about trying to change behavior, right? So I'm trying to give you a recommendation, I'm trying to give you an alert, uh, right? I'm trying to get you to do something, right, that I, you know, I think is better. Uh, really understanding how, how people use the software is, is, is critical, right, to whether or not it will even do its job, right? So, you know, in classic UI design, I mean, I can make your life harder, right, by, by you know, giving you a crap UI, uh, but, you know, you're probably not going to do something completely different, right? You, you may fail to do the task, but it's unlikely you'll do the opposite. Uh, with machine learning systems, there definitely are cases where, uh, you know, that, that might happen. Okay. So uh, one of the things that I've noticed is that you have recently written an article um, about it uh, on Forbes um, for uh, saying that uh, AI is an interaction design problem and not just a data science issue. Now, I mean, I completely agree with you there, of course, um, but it, if you could just give me some details as far as how you feel that the difference is, I mean, or, or I guess... To answer the question, just how is it an interaction problem for you? Uh, sure, yes. And, and that article specifically, I mean, it, it focused on one specific aspect, uh, which is explainable AI, right? Uh, which really goes down to the question of, uh, you know, when, when you are a user and you use one of my models or algorithms, uh, how do you actually build a, a trust and get you to do, you know, whatever it is that I'm trying to get you to do? Uh, so, so explainable AI has been a hot, you know, a hot button issue for a while now. And the, the technical approach is to come and say, oh, look, if I have a decision tree or an SVM or a neural network, I will try to, to show you how the model actually makes its decision technically, right? And put it in some, some user interface or structure uh, that makes it easier to understand, right? So, so with the decision tree, I can just show you the branch in the tree. If it's a linear model, I can show you, oh, here are the top four features that kind of were kind of lit up. And that, there are definitely even ways to do it with deep learning neural networks. Uh, and, and that's one approach that people have, have taken. But, but really what I found is that that's usually not what people want when they say that they want explainable AI. Uh, and in, in projects that we've done, uh, it was almost, I mean, it's almost universal. Where, will people come and say, oh, you have this model, right? Let's say you're in healthcare, you say this patient is at risk. Okay, and I need to understand why they are at risk. Right? You can't just tell a nurse or a doctor, look, this is a high-risk patient, do something. Uh, you need to tell them why, so that they know actually what to do or you know, why they should take this seriously. And what I found is that people, nev people never want you to actually explain your model or your algorithm. Uh, people care about specific questions. Right? Come say, okay, I need to know if this patient is diabetic, whether they have a risk of sepsis, whether they're on specific medication. And uh, or usually what happens is to explain the things they actually care about, you actually go and you end up training different and separate models. So, so it's really not about taking the model that you have. It's about thinking, okay, it's really an interaction design. In a sense, look, go ask your user, what do they want? What's their mental model? What do they need to see at that point in time? 
that's what you need to show them. Uh, and if you look at, at really at what, uh, I guess, the, the, probably the two most commonly used examples of explainable AI, you know, Amazon and Netflix, right, where Amazon tells you, oh, you know, here's why I think you might be interested in this product or book, and Netflix telling you, oh, look, here's why I'm showing you this movie. Uh, when they wrote and published about how they build those models, uh, both of them said, oh, look, well, you know, we, we, we have the very complex, you know, deep learning-based whatever model that gives you the recommendation. Uh, we don't explain that. We, we actually had to have a whole team build separate models to give the correct explanation, right? And the correct explanation is really, it, it's really, you know, it, you really do it from an interaction design perspective because it's not, yeah, it's not what the data, you know, it's not uh, what my data science model does. It's about uh, what does users need to see? What is the mental model? What do I need to show on the screen? And then just, just go and train the model that shows that, right? Because that, that's what brings you trust. Um, so that leads right into a big problem that AI has with trust. Um, that's something that, you know, it really needs to be designed into the system itself. Um, so I was wondering, uh, for your instances, uh, if there are other ways that you uh, design trust besides just, you know, making sure that the algorithm itself is as uh, explainable and uh, transparent as possible. Uh, yes. So, so really, uh, when you try to get people to do something, right? So, so for example, let's say, you know, you, you have an alert about a patient because you think that this patient is a danger for sepsis, okay, which is a very severe uh, life-threatening infection, okay? Uh, and and let, look, if you just put in another alert, oh, I think this is a high-risk patient, I mean, it is just going to be ignored, right? Because the, the, the people working in, in that environment, they already have information overload, they already have alert overload, right? They're already busy with doing 15 other things, right? And, and you kind of, you might as well not even turn the thing on. Uh, so, so really, the, the way to think about it is, uh, is kind of really forget the data science, forget the machine learning and how accurate your model is, and, and really think about it from a design perspective, right? Uh, I have people, they work within this environment, right? They're busy, uh, and, you know, there's only so many screens and, you know, and beeps that they will, you know, pay attention to. How, how do I get that to happen? Right, so part of it is kind of really, where, where do you show that alert? Do you show it in a queue? Do you show it as a pop-up? Do you show it in the workflow? What do you tell them, right? Because you know, if I'm working within a, you know an ICU, right, within a, you know a, a emergency department, like everybody is at high risk all the time, right? You know, this is why you're in the ICU, right? So, so this kind of you know, it's not helpful just to say that. What you want is you want to tell me things that that are very much in the context of what I'm looking at, right? So make sure it's in the context of the way I look at the patient anyway. Right when I come again, and you know, like if I look at labs, don't show me the whole list. Highlight the key things. Right, if I look at a medication or if I look at timeline, just you know, highlight in, in red or in bold or somewhere the, the things where you want to, you know, where do you want my eye to go to? That you can do. And and the other thing is never tell people what to do, right? But kind of give them effects, right? Because if you tell a doctor, oh look, this patient, you should change him from 20 milligram to 80 milligram, right? I mean, the doctor will just call bullshit. Right? Because look, this is my patient, like, no way, what the hell is this system trying to do? Uh, what you can do is come and say, oh, look, this patient is, you know, the, the critically underweight or critically overweight, right? Therefore, the, uh, you know, just so you know, the, the guideline around the, you know, the standard kind of amount of medication they should have is, is different, right? You should consider that, right? And if you show it at the right time while they're already looking and you get them to actually look at it in terms of just 
where you draw the eye, then you have an opportunity to actually change behavior, right? But, but really kind of in those types of problems, really the, your machine learning problem is, is the easiest part of actually changing behavior. Yeah, no, I've heard that a lot from uh, uh, different people. Um, so on the, I mean, one thing for machine learning is definitely, uh, you know, it's still probabilistic, so it can get the answer wrong sometimes, and I'm sure this is especially important for medical settings. Um, you know, how do you soften the blow when AI does get it wrong? I mean, uh, so when you think about it, you know, people are very forgiving of when a doctor is right 70% of the time, but if uh, there's a computer program and it's wrong, you know, it's right 80% of the time, well, that might be better than the doctor, but that 20% that it's wrong is going to be looked at a whole lot uh, with a whole lot more scrutiny. And so I was wondering kind of just how do you soften the blow when AI is wrong? Yeah, so first of all, we absolutely have this problem, and you see it, you know, you see it in healthcare, and as you say, the kind of computers, and I think for the better overall, are judged to a higher standard. Uh, but, you know, you also see it in autonomous driving, right? It's like, you know, autonomous cars are supposed to have, you know, zero accidents, while, you know, while humans are, kind of can get by with a lot less, and, you know, and I have two teenage drivers, I would know. Um, uh, so, so here's what you do. Uh, so look, the, the first thing, is first of all you need people to realize and this is really this this is a, a problem sometimes with product managers or, or you know I see it with you know with, with CEOs or with customers where people assume that if you tell them and an algorithm can do it they assume they can do it perfectly uh, mostly because this is people are used to from software right so, so if I build a, you know traditional software non-machine learning software and I tell you I'm going to build a calculator right and it's going to be able to do you know a plus minus multiply and division uh, then your assumption is it's not going to do it most of the time, right? It doesn't, you know, it's not going to do it until it gets tired or until the numbers are big. I'm just going to do it, right? So, so and if you have, you know, uh, if you have a tax software, right, it should be 100% correct. If you have inventory management software, you know, a, 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 you know, a warehouse distribution software, a workflow software, I mean, they, they just work all the time, right? They don't work mostly. Uh, so people are used to that with software. So, so one very important thing is to explain to your customers Look, here is the state of the art. If the state of the art is at 80%, okay, this is how it's going to be. And, and this is something that you need to, you need to build into your product. Uh, now there's a question of, of really from a design perspective, how you show it within your product. Okay, so, so, one, uh, uh, so one, one classic way to do, uh, uh, to do is, is simply to show a rank list of possibilities, right? Meaning you, you, don't, you, know, you don't tell people, uh, look, for example, uh, you know, if I try to recommend movies, Right or recommend uh, 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 you know dates or recommend restaurants. Okay, I'm not going to show you. Oh, here's the one you're going to. You're gonna love it, right? It really, it's just a question of how I order the list of possibilities, right? But I'm showing. Oh, look, I think it's going to be one of those ten. Okay, uh, but really, the way I'm tr I try to order it is so that really the first one or two or three are, are the most likely ones that you're going to like, right? Uh, but then, as an end user, right, you, you don't. You kind of you, you expect you expect there to be wrong some of the times. Right, because I'm showing you a list of possibilities, so it's more about ranking. Um, uh, ranking also works well when you're doing things, for example, like uh, uh, filtering out spam or filtering out fake reviews. Okay, so for example, the best thing to do with fake reviews is not to mark them, classify them binary as fake or not fake. Okay, because then every time you get it wrong, the people who order reviews are going to be very mad at you. Hey, why, why did you mark my thing as fake? It's not. It's not. 
right? Or, you know, why didn't you mark the other thing it's fake? The easiest thing to do is kind of say, look, if I think it's fake, you know, I'm just, you know, just going to be on page three of the reviews, right? No one will ever see it in reality, right? So I can reduce the number of, of views the, the review gets while not, you know, angering really anyone. Uh, right, and then if I'm, you know, if I'm just, you know, wrong 20% of the time, it's look, you, you know, what do you want? Your review is there. Maybe it's on page four, but you know, I don't even know how that algorithm works. Uh, so that's uh, right. So, so, so that's a technique that that kind of works well with the mental model people already have, right? Of ranking and recommendations. Uh, if you really need to show an answer, uh, people are not good with probabilities. Right, so so you know, if if I tell you, oh look, uh, you know, uh, I think you have cancer at eighty-seven percent probability, uh, you, you don't know what to do with it, right? It's like you know, people don't want probabilistic answer on on those kind of life-changing things, right? Uh, they want to know yes or no, e even though in reality, right? Even when you know, as you said, when, when a, a human doctor gives you the answer, it probably is seventy or eighty percent accurate, right? Uh, most of the time. Uh, so, so definitely, you have to be really, really careful when you give people kind of those binary decisions or binary choices. Uh, so usually what people do, they kind of say, you know, uh, look, it's you know, risk level, right? It's like red, red, yellow, green, right? They put something kind of on, on a progress bar, uh, most likely or less likely. But this is definitely something uh, that even just from a UI and interaction design perspective, you have to be very careful about. Uh, because humans don't, do, they, humans don't do percentages, they don't understand probabilities. Uh, and they don't understand confidence intervals. Right? That much we know. Yep. Uh, so now, uh, one another one of the big problems that uh, machine learning has is that you know it tries to uh, generalize everything towards like a, a the most understandable center value. Um, that works great when you're trying to predict movies, but you know if you are trying to in include accessibility, uh, those kind of problems, um, you can have it drop off pretty easily for people that need special uh, you know, accommodations. Um, have you designed anything that uh, helps with those kind of situations? Uh, yeah, so if, uh, let me know if I understand correctly the, the question. My, uh, my understanding is you're talking about situation where, where basically there's an issue of bias, right? Where, where if, uh, let's say I trained an algorithm uh, and, you know, uh, for example, you know, 90% of the population is right-handed, 10% are left-handed. So really, my algorithm is going to be skewed towards doing really well on right-handed people, right? And and even if I'm, you know, so let's say I have, you know, 95% precision on right-handed people, and I have 50% precision on left-handed people, right? Um, my actual, you know, my algorithm still is going to be like 87% correct, right? Well, well, I'm actually, uh, you know, I'm actually uh, underserving. That, that all the left-handed part of population. Is that the case? Uh, yeah, that's a very good example. As a left-handed person, that is uh, hits close to home for me. <laughs> so. Yes, yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, left-handed people have been, you know, throughout history have been, you know, everything from your know, weapon design to cutlery design have been left behind, uh, which is a problem. Uh, and uh, yes, and, and the problem is there are quite a few groups like that, right? And the, the, you know, what gets the, the most news, are, uh, you know, is kind of gender bias, uh, race bias, and age bias. Uh, but definitely, there are many, many other kind of groups of people, and especially if you if you look at people who are uh, who have some kind, uh, you know, of disability, right? So, so if you know, if you're designing and you have people who are you know colorblind, right, or people who are deaf. Right, or, and of course there are many more uh, those types of you know, people you know, pregnant, not that that's disability, right? but that's another condition you need to manage. Uh, uh, there, uh, there are definitely issues there. 
and uh, 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 now people care more and more about it. Uh, I would say, and it's really come up in the last year where people acknowledge that, that look, if, if I have a model out and I have an age bias issue or a gender bias, bias issue, I'm going to, to face serious backlash. I would say until a year ago, I, I, I really haven't heard it as much. Uh, in healthcare, you do see it sometimes uh, because you have specialties, right? So, so if you have, for example, you know, you're looking at oncology, uh, so, you know, everybody has cancer. So, you know, in that sense, they're all, you know, you know, they're all equal. Uh, uh, but, but there are, you know, many, many subtypes of cancer, right? And, and uh, you know, doctors really want to know, it's like, what is your model actually tuned for? Right, because if, if you're really good on your know, stage one and two colon cancer, uh, and and you just you know you're just no good on you know stage three or another another type of cancer, it's kind of just tell me in advance so that we don't use you for those cases, right? Uh, because in, you know in healthcare like you know like like nobody is the average patient, right? Like there are no average patients, right? Every patient they're, they're very unique. They have a very unique uh, condition, right? And if your model doesn't work on that patient, right? Specifically, I need to know. Right, it doesn't matter how well it works in general. Uh, so, so we've seen more more cases like this. Uh, we really there's not one population. There's a set of smaller populations that that you need to worry about. Uh, and uh, uh, usually, what you have to do is is train separate models. Okay, uh, and and really make sure that that you can say, look, I, I I can't build a model for say you know for all people, for example, because really I need I need a model for right-handed people and left-handed people. Okay, and once I do that, I will probably realize that for left-handed people, look, I, you know, I don't even have enough label data, right, to build a model that's that's realistic. Uh, I mean, that, that will perform well. Uh, but but this is sometimes what you have to do. Uh, there are some techniques, and this is a data science problem uh, in the sense of how you uh, kind of, once you identify that you need to serve this population, how you actually make it work. Uh, there are ways to do it with a single model. Uh, we're basically kind of, you, you, you try to balance the, the classes, uh, right? We try to make sure you have representation from both. Uh, usually the most accurate way to do it is to build separate models and choose between them. Uh, the only challenge with having separate models is that, uh, for example, you, know, you have to know for sure you know, whether I'm, I'm, I'm right-handed or left-handed so you can apply the correct model, right? So, you know, sometimes it's easy, okay? Like, you know, uh, uh, for example, you know, sometimes you know, you're in a banking application Right uh, or a healthcare application, so you know people's gender and you know people's age, because you, you know they just give you this information to begin with. Uh, but sometimes, for example, you know if you're looking at tagging uh, photographs, right? So so uh, you know some of the kind of the border crossing, you know, face recognition applications, uh, you also need to identify their gender and age in order to activate the right model. And uh, you know it's for age, for gender, for race, and then it's a harder issue. Yeah, no, that's uh, some really good points. Um, also, uh, you know, so you have the. The oversampling issues, um, you know, you can oversample for one group, but then you run into quality issues. See, to uh, switch gears a little bit, uh, so I know, especially working in the healthcare industry, you probably work with a lot of people that are less familiar with what machine learning is, and they get a lot of uh, their input from, say, movies where, you know, uh, AI is usually the cause of the end of the world or something very bad happening. Um, Do you do anything to try and help people uh, kind of as an introduction to AI so that they're not scared of it or, uh, you know, things along those lines? Well, uh, I, I think the easiest thing is, is really kind of to, to not show it as an AI system, but just kind of say, look, this is software, here's what it does, right? Uh, because, because if you think about it, the, the AIs that we use daily, 
uh, like you know like like uh, uh, you know um, speech to text for voicemails right and uh, uh, email spell filtering right and and whatever it is my car does when I'm slightly you know moving between lanes right or you know the Amazon recommendations uh, you don't think of them as no this is a weird AI you know, mechanism right or you know when you do a Google search you don't come and say oh my god I'm, I'm feeding the machine uh, it becomes kind of a day-to-day -day habit uh, right and and of course I mean there are, you know thousands of machine learning algorithms that, that we use on a daily basis right from you know ju just you know by making this phone call phone call right there are you know kind of countless ways in the middle where you know kind of you know packets and routes are being optimized uh, so I think really the best thing is just to show people look you know here's a you know I build you a slightly better mousetrap here's where you put the cheese here's where you press it and you know you put it here and it happens Okay, and the, the fact that he does, you know, real-time face detection of mice is is uh, almost beside the issue, and that's usually the best way to do it. Okay, now that makes sense. And so, when people are using these uh, ML model or the, the machine learning models, um, uh, what's a good way that or that you found when you're trying to have people interact with them so that they don't adapt to the computer? And that you're making sure that you know the machine learning model is adapting to the user. Yeah. So so uh, usually the trick is is to make sure that when they use the system, when they when they give feedback, it's really part of the natural way uh, that they, they would use the system, kind of you know w without it. Uh, so so one good example is so, so let's say I'm I'm trying to recommend, you know, uh, uh, recommend products. Okay, uh, so I say, oh, look, you, you've just finished this, you know, this show, you, you might want to watch these other shows. Okay, uh, the, the best kind of feedback is to come and say, look, I, I just show you, you know, oh, you just finished the show, look, here are four other shows, right? You, you can kind of click on one of them and you just start. Okay, and then you do one of four, you know, one of four things. I, either you click on one of them, right? Or, or you just, you know, close your browser and go do something else, right? Or close your mobile app. Because it's like, you look at the four of them and you come and say, well, you know, Nothing that good, or you know, or I need to do something else now. Uh, that's good feedback in the sense that that just and really from a design perspective, uh, I'm not asking you to give feedback to my algorithm. I'm just telling you, look, you know, just here's the next thing you need to do. Uh, uh, when people do things like, uh, or if I were to do things like, okay, here are four additional shows that I can show you, and for each one, just tell me yes or no. Is this a good recommendation? Okay, then you, you might have a problem. Uh, first of all, because you know very few people would actually give you answers. And the people who would give you answers uh, probably do not represent the general population. Right, so you're going to have a skewed uh, sample there. Uh, but the other thing, uh, when that happens, uh, uh, people kind of try to say, oh, okay, now I'm giving you feedback and training the system, so, so I'm going to try to game it, game it a bit. Right, and, and what people click as, as what you say, yes, this is relevant or this is not relevant, may not be what they would actually want to watch, right, if they were to watch the, the next thing, uh, right, and, th and that happens in, in, in all different kinds of systems, right, so, so people, you know, and, and in general, you know, people lie in different ways, right, so they definitely lie to people, they lie when they think it would impact however, you know, how others would see them, and, and they even lie to computers. Uh, for all kinds of you know weird reasons, uh, mostly by the way, uh, uh, people lie when they think it when they computer kind of like them more, uh, as surprising as it sounds. Uh, but people relate to you know it, it seems like you know there, there are some papers that say the, the people the feedback people give to computers is very similar to what they would give to other people. 
Um, uh, so, so if you do uh, kinds of experiments around kind of, you know, gender or rage, race uh, 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 biases, I mean, that, that comes across. Uh, so really, uh, I would say just design the way you get feedback is, is really part of the kind of the classic way people do their tasks. Uh, so that it's implicit, and then usually it's something you can trust. Yeah, no, that's some good, <laughs> good advice to uh, go from. One of the big problems with AI is, of course, quality. You always want to keep the quality as high as possible. But some of the time, you just don't have the data to get that quality level to a certain point. And so you mm -hmm. need to start out with the easy stuff, you know, where you can get someone introduced to the, the application and the, the easy wins, basically, where you're getting the easy answers. And then as you get more and more data, you can slowly build the application up to where it is acting more as a, uh, someone that is acting more as an advisor. Uh, mm -hmm. But of course, it can't be that way in the beginning. Uh, so yep. do you have any kind of plans to how to stage uh, AI introductions, you know, in this way so that you can slowly start out with easy answers and build up to the, like an advisor role? Yes, so so there's almost like a classic pattern for this by now, and this is very, uh, and it's very popular in consumer applications, right? So so let's say you know I'm onboarding, you know, someone is is been onboarded to like you know to to Tinder, right, or to Yelp, uh, or you know some healthcare application, right, to help you manage manage your exercise or manage your diet, okay, uh, and and I want this to be a hyper personalized, you know, a kind of advisor, trusted advisor like application. Uh, but the problem is that, uh, you know, you're going to download the app, right? And you're going to give me, you know, maybe, maybe five minutes if you're really bored to decide whether this is a good app or not. And during those five first minutes, I know nothing about you, right? Uh, so um, after you've used the app a few times, okay, I know some things about you, but probably not at a personal level. And then, yes, over time, it really becomes personalized. So, so usually the pattern is, look, at the beginning, when you know nothing about a person, you have this kind of universal profile, right? And that's really an onboard, your onboarding experience, okay? Where uh, you, you actually, you do not personalize, okay? But, you know, let's say you need to propose an exercise problem, program. Uh, you ask a few questions, right? So you can say, oh, you know, how old are you? Uh, are you already active? Do you have any, like, you know, any of those, like, three really big kind of health issues I should know about? If not, oh, why, why don't we start with this, okay, and, and get some feedback? Uh, so that's kind of the first level, which is really universal. Uh, the second level is usually a, a, a segmentation, which means I don't personalize to you, but I personalize to a group of people, okay? So, so let's say I, I, you know, I, and this is usually something you can do quickly within a few interactions. So, so I know that, you know, search engines like Google and Bing, within really two or three queries, you know, they, they can get something to, oh, they're probably, you know, a 30 to 45-year-old male in a zip code that, you know, has this kind of, you know, income, and they're probably, you know, interested in whatever, in, uh, you know, in, in uh, outdoor activities and, and, uh, and sports, and professional sports, okay? Uh, uh, so, so if you're in, you know, if you're doing an exercise app, you're going to come and say, okay, this person is, you know, let's say they really like team sports, right, or this person... Uh, you know, they're, they're more into uh, yoga or, or this person is, you know, a cyclist. And, and then what you do, uh, you have, uh, uh, you, you pre-train, uh, because that usually you would have data from, from other people. You can pre-train basically a, a model for each uh, group or each class of people. 
okay? And you can say, oh, here's what really works well for cyclists, or here's what really works well for diabetics, right? Or here's, you know, kind of a, a really good way for people who are kind of, you know, just beginning a diet and haven't, you know, exercised for two years, right? Or for people who are, you know, under 13 years old or over 75 years old. Uh, and once you do that, uh, it, it, it already feels like personalization to your end user, right? Even though it's still at the group level. Uh, so that's kind of the second layer, right? And the third layer is really personal layer, right? And the personal layer means that now we have actually built the model to you personally. Uh, but that I can only do once I have enough data, right? So, so really, usually that's the model. You have this, this kind of universal model that's not personalized. You have the, the groups and classes, and then you have the, the really uh, personal level uh, profiles. And that's how you, you, you know, that's kind of what people go through as they onboard your application. All right, cool. Well, that is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank you again for joining us for this episode. Uh, and so, David, um, how can people find you? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter at uh, David Talby. I'm on LinkedIn, also under David Talby. <laughs> And my email is david at pacific.ai. And I definitely be interested to know, uh, to hear any feedback that people have. You know, will people, you know, disagree with me? People think that, you know, uh, if someone definitely think that they can, you know, teach me something, I'm, I'm always looking to learn and would be happy to discuss. All right, that's brave. There's always someone out there that will disagree with you on the internet. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yes, but, you know, there's always a lot that, that, you know, I still need to learn. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's really been fun. You know, doing that, and 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 you're really in this industry. I mean, we we are so early on in AI, uh, right? That that really just you know the 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 learning every day is is is, is you know kind of uh, you know is, is the main thing we get to do in this industry. Oh yeah, no, that's the reason why I'm in it is because even the experts don't know all the answers. Precisely. All right, sounds like a good place to end it. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to everyone out there listening. And remember. With how powerful AI is, let's design it to make it usable for everyone.